Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Well, as we know, UPR listeners are avid readers, so our periodic question to you isn't if you're reading, but what are you reading? We hope you'll share your book list with us today. We're going to compile a UPR community book list and post it on our website, upr.org. You can share that list right now by email to upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. Or you can use Twitter, at UPR Access, and you can call us. Hope you will, 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. We're asking you if you have any suggestions for beach or camping or summertime reading. What do your children read during the summertime? Or you can just uh, share with us your general book list. Elaine Thatcher joins me in studio for the hour. Elaine, welcome back. Thanks, it's great to be here. Later on, we'll be talking with Betsy Burton from the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City and Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in uh, Moab. So, Elaine, you're, uh, you've made it through Summerfest. For people who don't know, you you direct uh, Summerfest. I direct the local arts fair here in Logan, yeah, yeah. the big one. Uh-huh. So maybe the reading is a little, has been a little, little bit less during it's that time. Be, it's been a little slow, but now I'm picking it up again. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> yeah. I, I know you're an avid reader. <laughs> um, so let's uh, just uh, jump in. What's, uh, what can you recommend well, first? you know, you're asking about summer reading, and I have just in, li- in recent months I've read a series, uh, uh, I've read three different murder mysteries set in India. And they're, these are in the British murder mystery, Agatha Christie kind of tradition. They're lightweight, they're witty, they are essentially bloodless, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, with interesting uh, protagonists, these these Indian detectives. Um, uh, I've read two by um, Tarquin Hall, who is an English writer, I believe, who lives or has lived in India. His his uh, protagonist is Vishpuri. He's a portly, uh, food-loving um, uh, detective who takes great pride in his, his uh, ability to keep secrets. <laughs> and uh, mm. I've read uh, The Case of the Missing Servant, uh, where a young woman who is a servant in a house uh, disappears and they accuse the homeowner of, of murdering her. Um, and I've read uh, another one by him was the uh, the case of the deadly butter chicken, um, <laughs> which was great. Uh, <laughs> but I think I like better than uh, than the Tarquin Hall mysteries. I just discovered uh, Vasim Khan, who is a, an Indian uh, author, and he ha- his his protagonist is named Inspector Chopra, who. Um, was a, he's a retired policeman, very upstanding, and uh, so I read the unexpected inheritance of Inspector Chopra, and I it, I loved that one. Mm-hmm. So th- those are yeah. a lot of fun for summer reading. Yeah, those those do sound fun. Got a little lighter on the on yeah. the, on the uh-huh. summertime side. Yeah. yeah. Um, top one on my my list, I've uh, just discovered a uh, a biography of Benjamin Franklin. It's called Benjamin Franklin and American Life by Walter Isaacson, who's a wonderful biographer, wonderful writer. I, for some reason, I thought this was brand new, and I'd looked it up. It's, and I've got it on my Google Play. I've been reading it. It's 2004. It doesn't matter, really, but I, I just, it's perceptions, you know. <laughs> yep. Uh, timely, anyway, Benjamin Franklin, um, very, very interesting, protean uh, individual. Um, uh, very much, as Isaacson said, uh, in some ways, uh, Franklin would have been comfortable in our times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the first uh, big publicist. Um, he was uh, America's first great scientist. Uh, just everything. He was by far the oldest of the uh, 
signers of the De- Declaration of Independence. And, um, he, you know, you could call him a dirty old man as well. He, you know, <laughs> yep. he was <laughs> escapades in <laughs> he, France. He enjoyed yeah. life. <laughs> he, he enjoyed life, yeah. It's just an interesting, and he, he consciously invented himself, which is a very American thing to do. That's true. If you read the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, that's, uh, you know, it's very him trying to invent a new Benjamin Persona, Franklin. that's yeah. true. Um, so there's uh, just a lot of, lot of interesting there. Benjamin Franklin in American Life by Walter Isaacson. Uh, a recommendation there. Uh, what's next on your list? Well, I just started reading one that has captured me in, incredibly. Um, it may be because I, I think I mentioned on an earlier show that I had been reading Dragon Harvest by Upton Sinclair, which was uh, a novel. It was fictionalized, but it was about this um, American hero who became a spy for FDR during World War II. And um, now I am just starting to read A Man Called Intrepid by William Stevenson. And uh, this is the true story of the... Uh, secret spy network that existed during World War II, and it was essentially run by this man whose codename was Intrepid. Um, and I tell you, it just um, it just raises the hairs on your neck, you know. Um, and he he comments about um, how these were not professional spies; these were people who cared enough about freedom to risk their lives and their families even, you know, to fight for it. And uh, it's just, it's an incredible book. And this was written in 1975, I believe. So it's an old book. I'm the old book person on this show. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I never am up on the newest things, but this was, this is promising to be a very engaging and informative read. Uh, Tell us the title again. A Man Called Intrepid by William Stevenson. Okay, I'll, I'll check that out. That sounds like something I'd want to pick up. Um, well, we, uh, you and I both, we tend to go for the old books. The new books, we turn to <laughs> booksellers. We bring in Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab. Uh, Andy, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tom. Uh, good morning, Elaine. Hi. Uh, so we're, we're looking forward to hearing what's, uh, what's, what's out there. What's first on your list? Well, you would think I would uh, have a bunch of new books, but, <laughs> you know, the world changed in January. And it changed dramatically for booksellers. Hmm. And we all of a sudden are seeing a resurgence of some of the old classics. Uh, It Can't Happen Here by Sinclair Lewis. Uh, Of course, Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, Mm -hmm. uh, Fahrenheit 451, Ray Bradbury, 1984, Orwell. Uh, All of a sudden we're seeing uh, these titles on the bestseller list. And in times like this, I tend to uh, turn to art, and I turn to literature to to build my resolve and courage and to be entertained. And so I've gone back to a couple of our favorites, uh, rereading The Monkey Wrench Gang Mm -hmm. and Desert Solitaire by Edward Abbey. And I think both of those books, um, I picked them up, I've read them many times, but in part because of the threats against uh, our public lands especially down here in southern Utah. And there's a very brave publisher out of Torrey in Salt Lake City, Torrey House Press, who stepped up to the plate, a la Stephen Trimble and Terry Tempest Williams when they published Testimony 20 years ago. Torrey House Press has published two uh, 
very, very good compilations on the lands of southeast Utah. Edge of Morning, Native Voices Speak for the Bears Ears. This is edited by Jacqueline Keeler, and it is a compilation of Native Voices, just as the title uh, says, talking about the value and the sacredness of the Bears Ears region and public lands in southeast Utah. And then they also uh, coincided that with Red Rock Stories, three generations of writers speak on behalf of Utah's public lands. And this, too, was edited by Stephen Trimble. And so it's a great example of a publisher becoming a very much an advocate for the type of books that they publish and the themes in which they publish, in this case, public lands in southeast Utah. So I highly recommend those two new pieces, Edge of Morning and Red Rock Stories, published by Tory House Press. Along the same line, I was uh, turned on to a writer unknown to me, Robert Leonard Reed, and he describes himself as a mountaineer, a musician, and a mathematician. And if I had to give you a comp for his latest book, I would say it's a combination of a, a John McPhee, a Barry Lopez, and maybe a David Roberts a melding into one. And Reed has published Because It Is So Beautiful, Unraveling the Mystique of the American West. That title, Because It Is So Beautiful, is a Barry Lopez quote from a short story or an essay many, many years ago. But Reed takes his eye to the American West and has formed a a beautiful series of essays where he he looks at the tragedy of the West, whether it's the Native peoples or the, the mining that took place or the Dust Bowl, and he, he looks at the West through a new lens. And time and time again, he finds evidence, uh, lots of evidence, that, that this American West that we call home is so much worth celebrating and so much worth caring for. And he goes to areas in the West that many I have never traveled to, and yet now I feel like I know these areas uh, extremely well and makes me want to travel to them. Because it is so beautiful, Unraveling the Mystique of the American West by Robert Leonard Reed. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds, sounds interesting. Yeah, sounds yeah. good. I think he'd be a, a great interview for your show, Tom. Yeah, I was just thinking that, yeah. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be um, sure to note that down. Moving on, a couple of other books that have risen to the top here at Back of Beyond Books. One is On Tyranny, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century by Timothy Snyder. And Snyder simply reminds us what went on in the totalitarian threats that the world faced in the 20th century. And through these 20 lessons, he reminds us that history, even though it's not all that old. Sometimes we tend to forget. A couple of his lessons include, it's kind of like the, the four agreements for uh, the 21st century of politics. He says, get out there and investigate uh, in your daily life. Make eye contact and small talk. I love that one. You know, how many of us are walking around just with our phones in our hands and we are avoiding our friends, our neighbors, or even those we may not necessarily agree with. But if we drop the pretense and drop the electronics and make eye contact and small talk, boy, I think things can go a long way. 
And finally, another one I, I really liked was Believe in Truth. So there's 17 more lessons from Timothy Snyder in his book, On Tyranny, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century. Yes. Along those same lines, and I have never read some of these styles of books or types of books. I tend to just read natural history, but again, my life has changed as many have. I picked up Naomi Klein's No is Not Enough, Resisting Trump's Shock Politics and Winning the World We Need. And Naomi's no uh, wallflower here. She, she wrote the Shock Doctrine and No Logo, and this changes everything. She's been at the cutting edge of uh, progressive politics. But her basic thesis in this book is that simply saying no doesn't cut it any longer. You need to do a lot more than that. You need to articulate a, a very clear populist message, and that if everyone were to do that who's worried about the direction of this country, then the idea of yes uh, creates a winning and uh, fair and caring world that uh, I think a lot of people would agree that we need right now. So it's a sobering look at today's politics. Naomi Klein's no is not enough resisting Trump's shock politics and winning the world we need. Hmm. But lest that I stay too serious, I had to bring in a piece of fiction. And my all-time favorite mystery suspense writer of the last 20 years, Lee Child, has a forthcoming novel in November, which uh, you can wait for. But in the meantime, they published No Middle Name, the complete collected Jack Reacher short stories. So if you're looking for that classic summer escapism and you like uh, short, taut uh, suspense stories, uh, there's none better than Lee Child. A Jack Reacher character, of course, was featured in a couple of uh, movies, but as always, the books are always better. Mm-hmm. And these are quick, short short stories uh, by Lee Child, and I think most people would really, really enjoy those as a great way to escape. What a great that's, list. Yeah, that's, that is a great list, a varied list. I, I want to ask you before we let you go, Andy, um, it's an interesting idea. You, you said uh, reading tastes, at least for some listeners, yourself included, changed in, in January um, that's an interesting phenomenon. Has that happened before? I, I imagine outside forces would sometimes, if they're big enough, change what people are reading. It, it happens on a cyclical basis, and it often deals with politics. We see it in the store uh, every four years at least when there's a, a plethora of political books put out, but I've never seen anything to this level. And just last week I was at the front counter at the store, and uh, three generations came into the store, and grandmother picked up 1984 and handed it to her grandson. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the parents started talking about when they read it. And to me, that's the absolutely perfect scenario of someone walking into a bookstore and crossing those generational gaps and using their reading taste from years of past and melding it into what's happening today. So, yeah, I think, Tom, that uh, we're seeing it now more than ever how reading habits are changing. I don't know if you were on the line, Andy, excuse me, when we were talking before you came on about how I've been reading A Man Called Intrepid, which is another one of those books. It's a World War II memoir, 
um, about spying during World War II, and I, I've picked that up, you know, out of interest. So it's, it, it, I think your perception is correct. I think a lot of us are looking at some of those older books for perhaps instruction. And they're classics for a reason. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. One, one more question, Eddie. You talked about rereading. You went back and reread some Edward Abbey books. What, what did you, you said you read them many times. What did you get the, out of the last, the latest rereading? Desert Solitaire is approaching its 50th anniversary, which is remarkable. And that book, like a classic, reads just as well in the 21st century, almost 50 years after publishing it. Now, there are, I think, a couple of chapters that maybe don't hold up quite as well from a lens of many years later. Uh, Monkey Wrench Gang... uh, you know, it was it was a, a rollicking eco thriller back when it was published, and it, it remains so for me. And I think it too holds the test of time very well. And we've seen this uh, resurgence in the reading of Edward Abbey as well. And all of a sudden, we're seeing his books showing up on lists again. And for a period of time, um, that had slowed down at least for Abby. My complaint so. about Abby, about uh, Monkey Wrench Gang in particular, is his two-dimensional female characters. Mm. Um, I enjoyed the book, but I, I didn't like his female characters. And we hear that a lot, Elaine, especially from women writers, that uh, Ed's uh, writing about women or uh, dealing with women is... Uh, Perhaps not, not in the, the most favorable light. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that sometime, Andy. <laughs> Very good. Well, thanks, Andy. That's uh, some interesting books, and uh, we'll put that on our book list. Uh, you'll you'll send us an email with those, will you? You've already got it. Oh, you've already oh, we already got. It. Okay, great. Well, thanks, Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab has uh, shared his list with us. Thank you. You're so welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Bye. And uh, coming up uh, a little bit later, we'll talk with Betsy Burton from King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City. We have Elaine Thatcher with us through the hour. We hope to have you as well. Uh, You can email us your book list. Uh, Maybe it's one book, maybe it's several. We'd love to know what you're reading. You can call us at 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495, or email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. We're compiling a UPR community book list. Uh, I always look forward to this. This gives me new ideas. I think I'm going to check out uh, next probably A Man Called Intrepid. Mm -hmm. That sounds fascinating. Interesting, yeah. Um, so what's uh, next on your list? Well, Lynn? you know, I read, since uh, Andy was talking about uh, some of these books that uh, uh, have sort of a, that are about our public lands and whatnot, um, uh, I read a book called Apparition Lake by Doug Lamro. Um, I would say it was partly successful. Um, it was an interesting read. I mean, it's a, it's, it takes place in Yellowstone. And there's a supernatural uh, aspect to it. Uh, there are killings happening in in the park, and it has a strong um, eco-friendly kind of a nat- of a message. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, my biggest uh, concern with it was the sort of romanticized um, Native American side of things that is also the the source of the supernatural part of it. Um, but, you know, it's kind of a fun read. It's an interesting book. Um, 
I wouldn't say don't read it. It's it's just not as successful as I was as I would like. It's a little bit too much in your face, I think. But it was good. It was okay. Mm-hmm. But um, another one actually that I heard about on NPR, um, and I have been working my way through it. It's called Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus. And some of you may have heard that uh, interview. I don't remember what program it was on, but it's um, the subtitle is How Growth Became the Enemy of Prosperity. Hmm. And it's by Douglas Rushkoff. Um, I am not an economist or a financial whiz, but um, this book turns on its head for me every um, everything that I thought I understood about our economic system and what what he proposes as being the way to to uh, correct it because he sees that he sees corporations um, uh, looking you know they okay you have a corporation like Amazon which is uh, very rarely profitable I don't know if it's been profitable at all nevertheless its stock price continues to rise so it talks about this growth phenomenon in stock prices to pay off uh, investors versus the profitability of the company or the um, the uh, remuneration and and uh, assistance to the workers as they produce what is produced the product so it's a really interesting book uh, to read if you are at all interested in our modern economy uh, I love the title too throwing rocks at the Google bus yeah, yeah. and he explains that early on uh, right. it has to do with uh, gentrification and mm. and uh, the growth of Google and right yeah let me add, this would be a good time to bring another uh, one of my suggestions in. This takes us back to the birth of the corporation. And uh, I discovered this book when we were preparing a program, a series of programs on Access Utah uh, about uh, corporate personhood. This was when there were some uh, um, lawsuits going up to the Supreme Court. And, uh, you know, uh, famously, uh, the candidate Mitt Romney said, companies are people too, my friend. Remember that? <laughs> yes, that quote? I do remember it, yeah. Um, and so a, a discussion on uh, what rights do corporations have and do they, should they have the same rights or similar rights to people? Um, because in, in a legal sense, a corporation is, is a person. And there, there are some you know, legal mm. ramifications there. But uh, the, the book that uh, I went back to and found fascinating is called The Company, A Short History of a Revolutionary Idea by John Micklethwaite and Adrian Woldridge. And uh, this uh, takes us back to the invention of the corporation, limited liability joint stock companies, I think, in, in Britain, which just exploded the economy and became a, 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 an explosive and, and when economic. Was, this when was, was that? 1800s. Okay. Uh, is when it really took off, I think. It might have been invented in the 1700s, I think, 1800s. Um, and and so how this idea of a corporation grew. And we, we, we've lived with it, of course, for our lifetimes, but there was a time when there weren't corporations. And so we now live in the age of global uh, corporations and the, some of the ramifications you're talking about in, in that book. This is a fascinating read. It's called The Company, A Short History of a Revolutionary Idea. Well, interestingly, Rushkoff, in Throwing Rocks at the Google Bus, uh, he dates the origin of the corporation back to the 14th century. Okay. Or the 15th, somewhere back there anyway. Right. So that he takes it clear back. So it's really interesting to see... And I, I might be misremembering this and, and do, doing well, a, a, you know short shrift to these authors, but I, they they uh, they do take the history back of this sort of the kernel of the idea of what way back before. I think know. he's yeah. extending that yeah. you know because the limited liability idea is probably more recent. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Just uh, uh, fascinating. And then they take the history of the corporation, how it developed. Uh, 
uh, to today with, uh, you know, the benefits and the, and the downsides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what's next on your list? Okay, so <clears throat> um, I'm, uh, I am currently reading. I, you know, I have like four books going at a time. Uh, but <laughs> I'm reading um, a relatively new uh, mystery novel called The, the Truth About the Harry Cabert Affair. And it's a, it's a French novel that's been now translated into English. And, um, and it's a more literary kind of novel, you know, compared to the, these uh, Indian uh, uh, murder mysteries that I've been talking about. It's a it's a more literary book, uh, well written, engaging, and really interesting about a a famous writer who is accused of murdering a teenage girl with whom he had had an affair mm. um, in in New England. It's set in New England, and it, it the French book was too. But um, so that is an interesting book as well. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Yeah. Well, it just triggered is is kind of a, a random connection. No real segue here, Elaine. But uh, what if you've read books and have favorite books in translation, or have read books with a bad translation, which just turned you off to the original? You know, I'm not sure about that last part, but I do read books in translation. I really love. Um, I I am fascinated with Middle Eastern um, authors. Mm-hmm. I really like. Um, uh, his name is escaping me, the Turkish author, <laughs> Orhun Pamuk. Mm. I've read his work. I love Salman Rushdie, whose magic realism, you know, you have to kind of get your your head around. It's mm-hmm. very different. But these, I, I read a lot of books in translation. Um, I'm not good enough in, my only other language is Spanish. Okay. And I haven't read Don Quixote in Spanish yeah. or <laughs> yeah. or anything else because my Spanish isn't quite good enough for for the more literary kind of reading. Yeah, that's it. it takes you more in the realm of uh, you know in English it would be the Shakespeare. You know, it's, mm-hmm. the, yeah. so it's harder. It's harder to read. I remember I took a class here at USU where, where the whole class was Don Quixote. I didn't do very well in the class. It was, <laughs> it was I, st- I struggled with the with the ri- with the original. I mean, it's a fascinating yeah, story. It's, but it's, er, it's fairly early. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's an older Spanish. I know? was uh, fascinated and very much enjoyed Gabriel Garcia Marquez in, in, I have in read the original his work, Spanish. Yeah. Uh, just just uh, talking about mm-hmm. magical religion. I would have to say that he is a lower on my list of favorites than some of the Middle Eastern authors are. I okay. I, I just have this affinity for. The other side of the world, um, yeah. and these Indian authors I've been reading, and the uh, the uh, Turkish and Pakistani, and you know these mm. others are really they really speak to my soul. Have to check yeah. to check those out. Yeah. By the way, if you if you if you're unfamiliar, probably very few of us are unfamiliar with Gabriel Garcia Marquez, uh, Love in the Time of Cholera, One Hundred mm-hmm. Years of Solitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, a short novella, uh, Chronicle of a Death Foretold, is a is mm. a fascinating. I read that one. Fascinating read. Um, let's see, let me, uh, let me go to, uh, this email and uh, we'd love to get your book list. Uh, what book are you reading? What books are you reading? We're compiling a, uh, UPR community book list. We'll have that uh, later today on our website, upr.org. You can email us to upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. And, uh, this is uh, from Ted. Ted says, I love your book shows. Thanks for feeding the reading pipeline. (laughs) You're welcome, Ted. I recently finished All the Things I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. 
This was a wonderful book around the complex and intermingled topics of race, education, family, and trust, all wrapped up in a page-turning mystery that I read in a single go one spring evening. Miss Ng crafts true characters that make you... Uh, um, pit judgments of your perceived understanding of the characters against yourself throughout the book, replete with strong surprises at every turn. Highly recommended for an enjoyable read that stays with you and really makes you think, sometimes weeks or months after you finish it. So that Ted recommends All the Things I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. That sounds fascinating. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, I, he brings up a good point. Are there, are there books that have stayed with you, Elaine? Yes. Ye- years and years and years? Uh, one called Spring Moon. Um, now I can't remember the author's name, but it's about China. Um, it, it takes uh, the story of a young woman from before the revolution to after the revolution, and she has gone through the the bound feet thing. And that book has stayed with me for decades. Yeah, that's uh, that that is one of my favorites. Some have, some of them just stay with you. Yeah, I need for a to reread that, but um, yeah, yeah. And there are others, but that's the first one that pops to mind. Yeah, wonderful. I'll have to think on that now that I've posed the question. I'm, I'm trying to come. There are a few, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, let's see. We have uh, Georgia from uh, Cedar City, who's up next on the phone. Uh, Georgia, uh, glad you called us. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Um, I just uh, really always enjoy these shows about ideas for summer reading. And, but I did want to talk about something I discovered a few months ago. I, I heard a review of a short stories of Penelope Lively. She's a British author. Uh, the little book was called The Purple Swamp Pen and Other Stories, and it's just a really funny little quirky read. But then she's written for a long time. She has some really great novels. She was a child in Egypt. She was British-born, but born in Egypt, and after her parents' divorce, she got sent to England. So she was a British child, but then suddenly here she was out of this Egyptian climate, you know, suddenly in England. And so she, you know, she's had she had some interesting life experiences. Her novels have a lot to do about personal experiences and and you know love and and abandonment and changes in relationships and those kinds of things. But they're really just kind of really interesting, really interesting uh, reads in that re- regard. Um, the photograph is especially good. It's the one about a woman who who's dead, and then people discover an old photograph and. Then they all try to really discover her, her sister, her husband, and everything, and they they sort of miss the woman. They didn't ever quite find out who she was. And uh, another one that's quite good is um, According to Mark, and she's written some children's books. Just There's a lot of things you can, you know, you can find old used books about her because she's been writing for a long time, but just a real interesting kind of a little different, little different read, and I really enjoyed her. Uh, so her name is Penelope Lively? Penelope Lively, huh? okay. she's a British author. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the first? The, what was the first book you the, mentioned? The, the Purple Swamp Pen and Other Stories. It's a book of short stories, and and uh, she won she won the Booker Prize for a, another novel some years ago, but uh, called Moon Tiger. Okay, uh, she sounds fascinating. Yeah, I haven't heard of her, so thank you for. Um, okay, well, thank you for this us. program. It's it's always interesting to hear what what other people are reading and to, and to discover people. Thanks, it's thanks fun, so isn't much. it? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Georgia. Appreciate that. 
Uh, the number is 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. Love to hear what you're reading, or maybe it's a suggestion from the past that you want us to know about. Um, and you can email us to upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. You know, another one that has stuck with me through the decades is uh, Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. Oh, yeah. yeah. A- and also the Brothers Karamazov. Those those uh, I read as a teenager. Right. And, uh, yeah, never forgot. Right, right. Interesting. Dostoevsky is a teenager. That's No, when I was a teenager. When, I mean, when, when yeah, that's <laughs> oh, what I yes, meant. yes, that's when I read it, yes. Because uh, most teenagers I know are not reading Dostoevsky. <laughs> <laughs> so that I was, I had a a love affair. I think it was brought on by Doctor Zhivago, the movie, and, okay. and and Omar Sharif, and everything, you know. But I fell in love with all things Russian yeah. when I was a teenager, and uh, gosh, I even did term papers on the Russian Constitution and right. <laughs> and on the uh, Communist Manifesto. Okay. All those things I had to I had to discover all of that. What was it about Dostoevsky that has touched a chord with you all these uh, years? Ah, the morality. I mm-hmm. think probably okay. the yeah. the the uh, the moral dilemmas. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, my producer has informed me we've been having so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> he reminds me we need to take a break. So let's do that right now. We'll come back with more uh, fun. We're uh, we're compiling a UPR community book list. You can call us at 800-826-1495 or email us to upraxis at gmail.com. More following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members, and support for science reporting on Utah Public Radio comes from the Utah State University Ecology Center, providing training opportunities for today's science communicators one story at a time, and the Cafe Ibis 10th Annual Community Street Dance and Silent Auction to benefit Four Paws Animal Rescue, 52 Federal Way Avenue in Logan, Saturday, July 15th, starting at 7 p.m., featuring music by Oscar and Julia, opening for the Rain Dogs. Biological engineers work in high-tech industries, developing the latest drugs and biotechnologies, but they also look to nature to make natural products. Natural products are replacing many of the synthetic ingredients found in everything from food to pharmaceuticals. For example, biological engineers at USU are using bacteria to produce a health-promoting compound found in plants. Resveratrol is found in the skin of red grapes and berries and has cardioprotective and anti-cancer properties. Biological engineers can program a bacteria's genetic machinery to produce resveratrol, turning the microbes into tiny factories that produce compounds for fighting heart disease, cancer, and Alzheimer's. Support on Utah Public Radio for Creating Tomorrow is provided in part by our members and the College of Engineering at Utah State University, offering undergraduate and graduate degrees in biological engineering. Information at engineering.usu.edu. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Cache Valley Visitors Bureau showcasing outdoor access to the National Forest for hiking, fishing, and camping. Information on trails, campsites, and more available online at explorelogan.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're having some fun today. Periodically, we get together as a UPR community, compile a UPR book list. We'll have these books on our website a little bit later today, upr.org. You can get your book list uh, to us. Maybe it's just one book that you especially like to share. It doesn't have to be a new book. Lynn and I tend to reach back into the past. Uh, we have some booksellers uh, with us as well for the new books. Uh, but what uh, would you suggest? And uh, I'll throw this question out. I just threw it to Elaine. What, what book or books have stayed with you through the years? 
Elaine says Dostoevsky. And uh, what was the other And book? I just looked up the author, Spring Moon by Betty Bow Lord. Okay. B-E-T-T-E. Oh, I remember that book. That's yeah. Oh, book. there's somebody. And yeah. that's uh, Betsy Burton from uh, <laughs> King's English Bookshop. Welcome to the Hi, program. Betsy. <laughs> Hi, thank you very much. But let me let me nice ask let me ask you right off the bat. It's maybe unfair to talk, talk to a bookseller about this because you you deal with so many books. But is there are there one or two that have stuck with you over the years, Betsy? Well, Jane Austen has always stuck mm, with me. I right. love Jane Austen. Um, in in sort of more recent years, one of my favorite books is Love in the Time of Cholera mm-hmm. by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Yeah, well, I just mentioned that one. That's that's has really stuck with me again. And I think maybe even more so than that one is is his novella uh, Chronicle of a Death Foretold that's, yeah, uh, that's that stuck amazing. stuck with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, he is amazing. Another another writer that I love um, above all else, uh, all others, I think is Margaret Atwood. I just think she's a genius, mm-hmm. and I think she has captured all kinds of streams in American fiction mm-hmm. from dystopian novels, which she's done very well indeed. Um, and right through the most literary of novels, I think she's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I would agree on on Jane Austen. I I recently went back and, and read uh, Persuasion again. Mm-hmm. Just uh, <laughs> I always I always I always love Jane Austen with with one exception, uh, Mansfield What's Park. That? I can I can never <laughs> never get into oh, Mansfield Park. Oh, I know that's Park. kind of a dweeby heroine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I liked her. You need yeah. to get a back. Oh, you did. Like, no, you, I did you, like you liked her. her. Yeah. Okay, all right. <laughs> Um, so before we jump into your list, uh, Betsy, we had an interesting discussion with Andy Nettle earlier in the program, back of Beyond Books in Moab. He he reports yes, I know, Andy. that at least at his shop, he says since January, so the change of administration, he says uh, right. reading has changed. The, the the books that people are coming in for has changed. I don't know if you've noticed that at the King's English. Um, I you know people are people are shying away from painful things. It seems to me. And there, we're selling more books that really um, allow people to escape, unless unless it's nonfiction and substantive about the issues we're dealing with. That stuff is selling too. Mm-hmm. But I do think people are feeling the need to escape in a kind of a different and more significant way. The other interesting thing is, you know, despite all the threats that Amazon's going to eat the world. Um, Independent bookstores are having an absolute renaissance all the way across the country. Oh, that's great news. And I news. think it's really true, and I think it's, A, people wanting and needing to read, B, that they want to support their community and they need community in a whole different way right now. Hmm. Well, that's, that's good news. That's, that's mm-hmm. good news. It is. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's jump in, uh, Betsy. What, so what are some books that you are, uh, that are, I guess, new and hot you could recommend for us? Well, my, my absolute favorite new book right now is Golden Hill, a novel of old New York by Francis Buford. Um, I had vaguely heard his name before, um, but only as a writer of nonfiction. And I had just read two very difficult books. Um, the Aaron Dottie Roy was one. I can't remember the other one. But anyway, I opened the first page of Golden Hill, and I just thought, oh, Thank heavens, this is going to be a joy to read. And it is. It's set in New York City right before the Revolution. And this man, kind of um, young man, leaps off a ship before it's really even docked and races up this hill, Golden Hill, which is the financial hill in New York during that time, and offers this letter of credit to this, what they call a counting house. It's a financial house. 
for a huge sum of money. It's a thousand pounds, which I guess back then was an absolute fortune. And the owner of the firm thinks, well, this could founder our firm if we cover it. And who in the world is this man anyway? Um, so the the book is it takes place while they're trying to establish who this man is, and the reader is very uncertain about who he is and whether he's real or not. And then the man who owns the counting house is very high up in New York society of the time and has two daughters. So it's the story of how all these people relate. It's just wonderful. It kind of, I won't say it's like Jane Austen, but it is like reading Tom Jones. It's just (laughs) great fun. Also very well written and great history, but just a joy to read. So that's a great summer read. Great. Interesting. Go ahead. Uh, I was just saying that sounds fascinating. It is. It's 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 really fascinating, but it's also um, just great fun. What you want in a summer read. Another one in a very different way. A great read is anything is possible by Elizabeth Strout. She's the one that wrote Olive Kittredge and My Name Is Lucy Barton, and she sets all of her her novels and stories in this one town. So you already know a lot of the characters, and when you start reading this, you think it's short stories. Um, but then, you know, and they're wonderful. You know, some are depressing, some are funny, some are up, uh, kind of upbeat. But they're about this web of community in this town. And so you, you're reading a story like 50 pages in, and suddenly you find something out about the first story. Mm-hmm. It just opens it up in whole new ways. It's a very kind of in, intriguingly interrelated um, cluster of stories that really kind of end up being a novel, although you would never <laughs> Kind of like a shaggy shaggy mm. dog story in, in folklore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you just keep adding, accreting yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> things. So, so those are really two favorite Goodreads. And another one that I really thought was a great read was The Widow Nash by Jamie Harrison. She's Jim Harrison's daughter, and she wrote some mysteries, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. I don't know, Andy, or do either of you remember those mysteries? They were quite good. I, I, don't. I don't remember, no. Nope. no. Well, they're out of print now, but anyway, so the Widow Nash isn't really a mystery, but it's the story of this young woman whose father is this just absolutely insane, actually he has syphilis, so he really is insane, minor, um, an explorer who's lived all over the world, and she's been kind of his dog's body, and now he really is going mad. And in his madness, has has done something with money from the sale of a mine, and he has this odious partner um, who wants to have a relationship with her, perhaps marry her, and she's she's very afraid of him. And so, what she finally ends up doing is, um, as soon as, just at the moment that her father actually dies, she runs, and she ends up in Livingston, Montana, and the rest of the book is set in. Livingston, and it's her building her life, and always we're wondering if this guy is going to appear and where the money went and what's going to happen. You know, it's a great read, but it's also not really a mystery. It's more a novel, and I really loved it. Hmm. So those are my great reads. I've read a couple of literary ones if you want to hear about them, but those uh, are uh, my uh, good Yeah, we'd, we'd love to, yeah. Okay, well, the two most literary books I, I've read of late, one is called The House of Names by Colm Tobin. I think that's how he's say his name, he's Irish, a wonderful writer, and this tells a story of that we know about from Greek drama of Clytemnestra and Agamemnon and Orestes 
and Electra. So they're all, he's turned these people into such believable human beings. And when, when the book opens, um, Clytemnestra thinks that she's taking her daughter to marry Achilles, when in fact, um, Agamemnon is planning on sacrificing that daughter because the tide of war needs to turn. And so when she finds out, when she goes to Troy, I guess it is, and finds out what's happening, she, it, she has this murderous rage that the reader totally understands. So you, you aren't thinking of her as evil. You're thinking of her, as any mother would, mm. as totally understandable. So she, of course, does kill her husband. And then, as we all know, Orestes kills her. But Orestes is not a schemer. He's actually one of the world's innocent people. And the way Tobin does this is so interesting. He's, he's kind of pushed by his sister, who, sister who really is murderous. Um, but he's much more sinned against than sinning and betrayed by everybody all the way around him. So it's a really fascinating book. And then the other one is The Ministry of Utmost Happiness by Arndotti Roy, the one that I I was so relieved to read Golden Hill after. It's a very complicated <laughs> book, but I think a very important book. It takes place in India, and um, there are two really main characters. One is a woman who's a transvestite, and she's the one who, who the book starts with. She, of course, doesn't fit in, and she moves at a very young age to this house where other people who just don't fit in sexually all live together. But she longs for a child. That's the one thing that she needs desperately to fulfill herself and ends up adopting one. And then the next piece of the book is this young woman who um, has three people, who, three young men who just adore her. One is from Kashmir and a revolutionary one is a Brahmin and from the very, you know, the, the structured part of India. And then a journalist who kind of bridges all those worlds. They are all in love with her. She is secretly very in love with a revolutionary, but she too longs for a daughter. And these characters all sort of coalesce. And it is fascinating in terms of India. You know, you have a whole new understanding of what's going on in Kashmir, what went on historically there, or at least I did, I suppose. There are people who knew all of this, but for me it was fascinating. And the characters are interesting, and it's a, it's a tour de force. It's really an amazing, it's kind of like when you read Midnight's Children. It's just, mm-hmm. wow. Mm. So what was that title again? Uh, the Ministry of Utmost Happiness by Arundhati Roy, who wrote The God of Small Things. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, well, well, I have some mysteries if you want me to go on. Yeah, but I don't know how much time. We're uh, yeah, maybe just a couple of mysteries, and then we'll we'll let you go. Okay, couple of, couple of quick mysteries. Um, I always love Earthly Remains by I mean Donna Leone. I, I describe her as earthly as liquid heroin, and Earthly <laughs> Remains as this this very sort of cynical detective, Commissaire Brunetti, who has had a midlife crisis, and he's just done with the world, and he goes out to this island, and he's rowing, trying to regain his sanity with an old man who knew his father. And um, he's starting to feel better. His sanity is returning, and then somebody kills the old man. And, you know, he's back on his game trying to figure out what happened. It involves bees, of all things, on one of the islands, and um, environmental issues, and it's just a great read. Hmm. The other one is Since We Fell by Dennis Lehane, 
which is the best portrayal of anxiety that I think I've ever read in my life. It involves a, a woman who doesn't know who her father is, who is um, taken in by the detective that she um, hired to find out her father. Um, she's very damaged, agoraphobic, because of something that happens in the book. And so the mystery is, who is he? Who is she? Is she strong? Is she going to fall apart? And what's going to happen? And it's just a great mystery. Mm. Well, those sound fascinating. I have to pick those, are, those yeah, up. Yeah, those yeah. sound great. Well, Betsy Burden, King's English Bookshop. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. And uh, we uh, continue the, the show here with uh, with you. Uh, you can email us to upraxis at gmail.com or call us at 800-826-1495. And we just have about uh, five minutes left in the program. It's, it's gone fast, Elaine. This comes from Steve. Uh, Steve says, I didn't realize this morning's Access Utah is one of your regular programs dedicated to what we're reading. Guess I wasn't paying attention. But he does have, he says, I do have a couple of books uh, by my bed I'd like to recommend. Both I learned about listening to authors being interviewed on public radio, so I hope that doesn't make my recommendations redundant. <laughs> uh, the first book is Four Fish by Paul Greenberg. An engaging writer, Greenberg established his adolescent self-identity fishing in Connecticut in waters near to where I used to live. The book is about mankind's effect on the fish that swim in the sea, how those populations have been shaped and changed by us, with a special focus on four species that humans love to consume, salmon, sea bass, cod, and tuna. Sound boring? It's not. The second book is We Have No Idea, A Guide to the Unknown Universe by Jorge Cham and Daniel Whiteson, both physics professors. I have an amateur's interest in particle physics, relativity, astronomy, and cosmology, and read a lot on those subjects. Chem and Whiteson, as the title betrays, take a reverse approach from others I have read. They focus on the what it is and what we don't understand rather than what we do, which is to say the book is all about uh, where uh, what there is for us still to learn. Needless to say, this inevitably also sheds light on uh, that which we do understand. The book is whimsically illustrated, and uh, if I have a beef with it, it's that the illustrations can be a little cutesy. Still, We Have No Idea is an illuminating and fun read. That's Steve, those sound fascinating. Oh, yeah, those Great. Love the idea of what we don't know. Uh, Steve writes back in, uh, responding to uh, your interested in Dostoevsky. He says, when I was a teenager, I gobbled up Dostoevsky, but now as an adult, I find him very heavy sledding indeed. I, I haven't tried to go back and read. Okay. So that, that's, I would think maybe I would find the same yeah, Same, yeah, yeah, it could be interesting for you to go back. Yeah. But in any case, that's interesting. It's had that effect on you all those uh, years. Mm -hmm. And then Ted writes back in. He says, Tom and Elaine, uh, another great book that deals with the Middle East is Birds Without Wings by uh, Louis de, de, Bernier, de Bernies. I love the book. It talks about the rise of Ataturk and uses him as a character in a fictional novel. It really fleshes out this important character in Turkey's history and as a human being with ambitions, failures, and depth. It also addresses the Turk-Greek issue. Wonderful read. People may know this author from his other work at uh, Captain Corelli's Mandolin or The Dust That mm, Falls yes. from the Dream. So that is um, Birds Without Wings by Louis de Bernies. And that's a suggestion from, from Ted. So just have a couple of minutes left. I wanted to uh, mention one that came to mind, uh, responding to my question of what has stayed with you over the years. Uh, it's, a, it's a young adult book from 1940, Call It Courage by Armstrong Sperry, hmm. uh, which I read as a teenager, maybe even uh, uh, younger. This is a book set in the South Pacific. Um, a boy tries to overcome his fear of the sea. Um, his his uh, The sea killed his mother, 
And then uh, as a rite of passage for manhood, uh, I think it, it involves uh, going out to see he's, he's afraid, but then he conquers his fear and he goes on this adventure out, on, out at sea. I, t- I think this idea of overcoming fear uh, had a big mm-hmm. effect on me, and still I mm-hmm. think about that I can see from that time would, to time. Yeah, that would appeal to a teenager too, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, interesting. So we just have, um, I don't know, about a minute left. Is there a parting <laughs> shot you'd like <laughs> to give, Elaine? Well, I'm reading something um, that probably most people <laughs> wouldn't be interested in, but it's uh, it's called The Art of Singing, Discovering and Developing Your True Voice by Jennifer Hamady. Now, I am a singer, and... Um, you know, have taken voice lessons, and I find this concept of your true voice an interesting one because we mm. often try to force ourselves into uh, molds of whether it's classical or pop or whatever as singers. And um, this author, I've already, I've I haven't read all of it yet, but it's she's focusing on finding what is really you. Mm. I did have one voice teacher who was uh, very good at that. Yeah, but most others, you know, aren't that perceptive. Gotcha. <laughs> so tell me the title again. It's called "The Art of Singing: Discovering and Developing Your True Voice." Oh, wonderful! Let me get one more parting shot in. I. I uh, Usually can't let a list go without uh, some P.G. Woodhouse. He's one of my favorite <laughs> authors. I had a uh, professor once say, boy, can't you get more, you know, you need to get more in depth. And I, I told him, I, I just love <laughs> living in the world of P.G. Woodhouse, great English farce. <laughs> this was advertised to me as his maybe his best novel. It's, it's a Jeeves and Wooster novel called Joy in the Morning. And I thought maybe that, that was because he got a little profound in this one. But no, it's just because he's writing on just such a high level. I think it is his best. Joy in the morning. Uh, Woodhouse doesn't really do profound, but, <laughs> but it is so enjoyable. Uh, so I'll recommend that one. Great. Well, thanks, Elaine, for coming in. Thank you. It's always fun. We'll have this list up at upr.org. Thanks. Keep those coming at upraccess at gmail.com. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM Logan. Also heard online at upr.org.